0: And I'm Scott, and And we we are Fired Up, Ready to Podcast! Hello
1: everyone! Welcome to the podcast!
0: We're going to mix things up a little bit this week because we didn't really have a whole lot of time to put stories together over the the last week.
1: Because we were uh, asked to speak... At the People's Filibuster, which took place the night before the Kavanaugh vote uh, in D.C. Right on the lawn of the Capitol in front of the Supreme Court building. It was very exciting, um, but it, it took some time. So what we're going to share with you are our speeches from as, the filibuster.
0: As well as a speech from one of our younger potluck members, Jake who uh, did a great job, and we look forward to sharing his speech with you. We also have a couple, a new segment to feature this week.
1: A new segment, very exciting, um, which is why you must vote for Democrats this November.
0: And we have our first interview with somebody who's not already part of our potluck group.
1: Wow, <laughs> this is a very exciting week on the podcast. Let's get
2: started. My name is Jake. I go to Oakland High School. If I ever sat down for a job interview and refused to answer the questions that were asked of me by my employer, I wouldn't get the job. If I sat down for a job interview and I yelled at my employer, I wouldn't get the job. And if I sat down for a job interview and I had to discuss whether or not I had assaulted a woman, I wouldn't get the job. Why does Brett Kavanaugh get to do all of these things and still get the job? Why does he get that privilege? He could sway the direction of our country for decades. I want a Supreme Court Justice who I know didn't assault a woman, not a Supreme Court Justice who I think didn't assault a woman. They say that boys will be boys. He was 17. I am 17. I have never come close to doing anything like that, and neither has anyone I know. It's insulting that they say that boys will be boys. We have self-control. We all have self-control. If somebody says that boys will be boys, then they need to take a, then they need to take a real hard look at themselves. And what about Dr. Ford? She was just a kid. What, where is the sympathy for her? For years, she's carried around this burden, and now people are telling her that this didn't happen. I believe Dr. Ford. We should all believe Dr. Ford. Brett Kavanaugh does not, de- does not deserve to, agree to be a Supreme Court Justice. Thank you.
1: Hi, my name is Janine. I'm sorry, what year is it? I'm confused. Is it 1919, before women got the right to vote? No? Oh, is it 1959 before women could get birth control pills? No? Oh, is it 1991 when Anita Hill had to answer questions from a bunch of sneering men who found her allegations of sexual harassment incomprehensible? No, it is 2018. And we have now had to watch Dr. Christine Blasey Ford bravely testify in front of a bunch of Republican men who hid behind a female prosecutor and didn't have the balls to say what they said that afternoon and since. They didn't even hear from the other two women, Debbie Ramirez and Julie Swetnick. I have been a therapist for 23 years. I have sat with men and women who have told me about their sexual abuse. I am sometimes the first and only person that they have ever told. And my heart breaks when I hear their stories. As my mother used to say, what fresh hell is this? Well, it is the fresh hell of living in a country that elects a man who bragged about sexual assault who then defends a domestic abuser, and tries to elevate one man, Roy Moore, to the Senate, accused of sexually assaulting nine women, and now Brett Kavanaugh, who not only has been accused by three women of sexual assault, but who appeared before the Senate Judiciary Committee, who is to assess his fitness, and he had a temper tantrum. He sat there and said the allegations against him were a calculated and orchestrated political hit fueled by anger about Trump winning the election, and revenge for the Clintons. He inappropriately tried to turn the tables on senators, asking them what they drank, or even going so far as to ask Amy Klobuchar if she had ever passed out after drinking. He spewed venom and vitriol and partisan conspiracy theories, and Republicans ate it up. I guess this is what passes for being a man in their book. And I have one question for Brett Kavanaugh and his Republican friends. Where is the evidence? It was said over and over again that there was no evidence for what Dr. Blasey Ford alleged. Well, actually, there were 29 witnesses she, Debbie Ramirez, and Julie Swetnick named to corroborate their claims. But the FBI didn't speak to them and then they weren't questioned by the Judiciary Committee. But where is the evidence, Judge Kavanaugh? Where is your proof? Where are the letters or emails or tweets or video of any of these accusers meeting with Democrats and conspiring? Where are the documents proving that money was transferred to their accounts for their willingness to come forward and lie? Where are your 29 witnesses to corroborate your claims, Judge Kavanaugh? Why are we not talking about that lack of evidence? Oh, because this is about women. Women getting mixed up or played or just ready to martyr themselves for the Democratic Party. These claims are allowed. These claims are, by the way, their very nature to demean and belittle the accusers. This is not a he said, she said. This should have been a look at credibility. His credibility stinks. That is why there was a discussion of his yearbook and post past drinking behavior, because his testimony didn't ring true. He didn't answer questions. He minimized. He lied. And there is a saying in the judicial world, false in one, false in all. And because of this, a previous Republican Supreme Court justice, the Yale Law School, 2,400 plus law professors across the country, the National Council of Churches, some of his friends from Yale are all agreeing. Judge Kavanaugh should not be put on the Supreme Court. Temperament. Judge Kavanaugh has asked in an op-ed for us to believe that he said things he shouldn't because he was emotional. He was there as a father and a husband. Can you imagine a woman asking to excuse her emotionality because she was a wife and mother? Would these Republican men be insisting on plowing through with the vote? Hell no! Indelible in the hippocampus is the sound of the laughter. These boys laughed at Christine Blasey Ford, Debbie Ramirez, and Julie Swetnick. The president led his rally in mocking and laughing at Dr. Ford. If they vote Brett Kavanaugh in, we will have to rise up, and we will have the last laugh when we vote these misogynists out on November 6th. Women, we get the job done. And we will get the job done on November 6th.
0: Hi everybody. I have some uh, prepared remarks to uh, discuss Brett Kavanaugh, but first I have uh, an unscripted remark um, directed towards Dr. Blasey Ford. When um, Senator Leahy asked you what you remembered most about your experience, and you discussed the laughter, I heard that. And I know that underneath what you were hearing was what you were feeling, which was humiliation. I want to assure you and women and remind men that one need not be the victim of sexual violence to understand humiliation and to have heard that laughter. Any grown man who as a kid was teased or bullied for being a minority or for being gay or for being fat or slow, knows that humiliation, has heard that laughter. It's not so hard for us to believe Dr. Blasey Ford, and those of us who don't have first-hand experience with that shame from our childhood, namely about 50 senators, they'll be feeling shame after this weekend if they vote how they are expected to vote. Now, what I wanted to come to say officially, thank you, was, um, before Brett Kavanaugh became a one-man 24-hour news cycle, there were some other things that were on our minds, namely the upcoming election. <clears throat> it's already been said that Democrats are risking losing their message over the change in focus. And one of the pillars of their message was protecting the ACA. That's important to me, because 15 and a half years ago, I was diagnosed with a Type of leukemia, which at the time, the first run, first line um, treatment for that had a prognosis of about four to 11 years. It's been longer than that. Fortunately for me, my wife found a clinical trial for a drug that had just been FDA approved just three months before. I was very lucky to be one of the last people admitted to that trial. I responded very well to the drug. I'm here today. Thank you, medicine. Thank you, science. Science saves lives. Thank you. I believe in science, too. And so that was good news for me. Fast forward a couple years, though, and the recession hit. And then I found myself staring at the worst job market in generations with a pre-existing condition. And I was terrified. We were all terrified of losing our jobs. I was terrified knowing that even if I found another job, if I lost mine, I was was going to be financially ruined if I did not find insurance that would help cover my pre-existing condition. And even now, I am in the same boat. You know, clinical trials don't last forever. Eventually you have to pay for that medication. Even now, I'm dependent on my insurance to cover the bulk of the cost of the generic for that drug that saved my life. And even that is thousands of dollars a month. If I am in a world where we lose the ACA and its protections, I'm gonna be lucky to hold on to my current job for the rest of my working life. Never mind midlife career change, that's off the table. And I'm not complaining, I'm lucky. I've got a job, I've got insurance. There's others who are not in as fortunate a position. There are young people coming up through the world that want to seize, who want to be their best selves for the benefit of themselves and for their loved ones. And our nation, isn't that central to pursuing life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that whole pursuit of happiness part? Aren't we entitled to that as Americans? So what does this have to do with Brett Kavanaugh? Well, thanks, with a little help from the National Women's Law Center, I will tell you. Derailing Brett Kavanaugh's placement on the Supreme Court is central to protecting the ACA. Donald Trump made clear he would nominate only someone who would dismantle the ACA. Judge Kavanaugh expressed contempt for the Affordable Care Act in two ACA cases that came before him while on the D.C. Circuit. He's criticized the ACA in speeches given just weeks before appearing on the short list of Trump's nominees, potential nominees. In fact, some of Kavanaugh's former law clerks have also made it clear that he fulfills Trump's anti-ACA litmus test. There are many reasons why Judge Brett Kavanaugh should not be Justice Brett Kavanaugh. And I'm worried that we will miss an opportunity tomorrow if not enough senators vote no. But one thing's for sure, on November 6th, we must vote down Dem for Democrat. If he's not gonna get out now, we'll take care of it later. Fight's not over, thank you.
1: And now, domestic Trump troubles. Okay, so this week we're really focusing on two stories. One is the Brett Kavanaugh nomination and aftermath, and uh, the other is about Trump and his finances. So this first one is from CNN. Trump mocked Christine Blasey Ford at a rally. At a campaign rally in Mississippi, Trump imitated Ford during her testimony, Mocking her for not knowing the answers to questions, such as how she had gotten to the party where she says Brett Kavanaugh sexually assaulted her.
0: Boy, that's pretty rich because she had an answer for every question that was posed to her. Unlike Brett Kavanaugh, who repeatedly dodged or diverted or, you know, talked back to senators instead of answering the questions just straight up respectfully the way that she did.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Well, Trump's comments at this rally were met with laughter and applause from the crowd, if you can believe it. Trump had previously called Ford a, quote, good and very credible witness, unquote, and said her testimony was, quote, compelling, unquote. Trump later went on the Justice with Judge Jeanine program on Fox and said his mocking comments were what had turned the tide for the nomination. What? That that was what had really helped turn the tide in in Brett Kavanaugh's favor, if you can believe this. And then, before Kavanaugh was sworn in, Trump called the allegations a, quote, hoax brought about by evil people, unquote. He apologized to Brett Kavanaugh and his family for, quote, the terrible suffering that they had been forced to endure, unquote. He had told reporters the allegations were, quote, all made up. It was fabricated and it's a disgrace.
0: Unbelievable. I mean, she was not even trying. Uh, it fires me up. She wasn't even trying to bar any Republican from being nominated to the Supreme Court. Just this one with whom she had a relationship. But no, she's just got to be demonized um, and cast in the pool of evil liberals. Boy, Trump sure knows how to divide a country.
1: He sure does. This article comes from the Washington Post, and it's titled, The Junk Science Republicans Use to Undermine Ford and Help Save Kavanaugh. The politically convenient... Scientifically baseless theory that sexual assault so traumatized Christine Blasey Ford that she mixed up her attacker is now something like common wisdom for many Republicans. It seems to be a way of both trying to validate sexual assault, but at the same time create a narrative that Kavanaugh couldn't have done it. Trump endorsed the theory Sunday, telling reporters he was, quote, 100% unquote sure Ford accused Kavanaugh in error. Senator Susan Collins from Maine said, quote, I believe that she is a survivor of sexual assault and that this trauma has upended her life, unquote. Then she gave the vote to confirm Kavanaugh. Senator Joe Manchin said, quote, Something happened to Dr. Ford. I don't believe the facts show it was Brett Kavanaugh, though. Unquote. It's easy to forget that three weeks ago, when the mistaken identity theory was first formulated, it was so wildly ridiculed, not wildly, widely ridiculed, the pundit apologized and offered to resign. But for many cognitive researchers, how memories actually form during traumatic events, the theory never stopped sounding ridiculous. Richard... Huguenier, a neuroscientist at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine, said, quote, There is a total consensus in the field of memory. If anything, fear and trauma enhances the encoding of the memory at a molecular level, unquote. Being attacked floods the brain with chemicals, including norepinephrine, which helps people remember whatever they are focused on. Quote, the person lying on top of you who she said she'd previously met. You're not going to forget that, unquote. Sexual assault victims do sometimes misidentify their attackers, by those, but those are almost always attacks by strangers, when the victim's hyperactive memory has no familiar face to etch into the brain. Lila Davici, a cognitive neuroscientist at Columbia University, analogize the traumatic memory formation process to cranking up the contrast on a photo central details get heightened while those in the background get washed out quote in this case it was a party with friends and she knew him it is ridiculous to say she wouldn't remember who it was unquote mara mather a professor at the university of southern california who has done research on trauma memory, said she could not recall a single case of a sexual assault victim misremembering a known attacker, Um, save for maybe children who had been coached into falsely accusing friends or family members. Like other researchers, Mather said Kavanaugh's memory was more likely to be suspect than Ford's, if he was as heavy a drinker in high school as many people who knew him have alleged. Senator Collins said on Sunday, quote, I do believe she was assaulted. I don't know by whom, and I'm not certain when, but I do not believe it was that Kavanaugh was the assailant. Unquote. The difference between senators and scientists is that Collins, like many in her party, Resolve the dilemma by assuming a fault in the victim's memory. In response to Collins, Senator Mazie Hirono sat down to say she found the Republicans' equivocation, quote, even more insulting. To say she thinks that Dr. Ford thinks she was assaulted? What is that? Was she mistaken? Unquote. This is why science and knowledge... Are so important, you don't just make up your reasons as to why you think something is happening if you If anybody had bothered to talk to the specialists who research this, who know about memory and trauma, they would have a lot more information to base this important decision on rather than what they just tend to think. <sighs> Our other story of the week is a really important story that did not get nearly enough attention, Um, but we need to be aware of it. The New York Times had a big article on their investigation into Trump's wealth, and here is what they believe are 11 takeaways. The Trump family's tax maneuvers show a pattern of deception, according to tax experts. Donald Trump began reaping wealth from his father's real estate empire as a toddler. By the time he was in his 40s and 50s, he was receiving more than $5 million a year. A pattern emerges. When his son began expensive new projects, Fred Trump increased his help. The small loan of $1 million was actually at least $60.7 million. Much of it never repaid. Fred Trump wove a safety net that rescued his son from one bad bet after another. Tax records reveal at the peak of Donald Trump's financial distress in 1990, his father extracted an extraordinary sum— nearly $50 million from his empire. The Trumps turned $11 million loan debt into a legally questionable tax write-off. Father and son set out to create the myth of a self-made billionaire. The Times documents... 295 distinct streams of revenue that Fred Trump created over five decades to channel wealth to his son. Donald Trump tried to change his ailing father's will, setting off a family reckoning. Donald Trump tried to make himself sole executor of the estate. Fred rebuffed the maneuver. But instead of leaving his estate vulnerable to inheritance tax, the family, with Donald playing a central role, formulated a plan that included unorthodox tax strategies that experts said were legally dubious and in some cases appeared to be fraudulent. The Trumps created a company that siphoned cash from the empire. This company used padded invoices to justify higher rent increases in rent-regulated buildings. The Trump parents dodged hundreds of millions in gift taxes by grossly undervaluing the assets they would pass on. Whoa! After Fred Trump's death, his empire's most valuable asset, get this, was an IOU from Donald Trump. Hmm. The single largest item included on Fred's estate tax was a $10.3 million IOU from Donald Trump that was apparently borrowed the year before Fred's death. <coughs> Donald Trump got a windfall when the empire was sold, but he may have left money on the table. In 2003... Once again in financial trouble, Donald Trump began engineering the sale of the empire Fred Trump had hoped would never leave the family. Donald's cut was $177.3 million. But banks at the time valued the empire at hundreds of millions more than the sale price. Donald had sold low. What a genius. What a con man. It's all been a big scam.
0: It's all the art of the deal, folks.
1: And this story matters, folks. So please take time to read it and know about it.
0: And now for your Action of the Week. Hello listeners, we have a very special treat for you on this week's action of the week. We I am speaking to Naseem Makia, founder of Outvote. Hello Naseem.
3: Hi, how's it going? Thanks it's, for having me.
0: You're your thanks for joining us. Uh, Naseem's Outvote is an incredible app that helps you reach out to people you know in around the country in competitive districts to remind them to vote Uh, but i'm going to let him describe it please go ahead
3: yeah i mean that's that's basically it it's pretty simple um what we're trying to do is give folks another way to make an impact a lot of folks um you know want to want to make a difference and right now they can donate you know money which is a big ask for most people they can volunteer time which is another pretty big ask most people are pretty busy Um, And this is another way you can help. And it's, you know, only takes a few minutes. You can do it from your couch in the living room. And you can kind of multiply your your voting power, you know, so instead of one vote, um, we're trying to get folks to basically get their friends out to vote as well. Um, And so we built an app to basically let you peer pressure and annoy your friends um, Mm -hmm. into into voting.
0: So um, you just go to your app store and look up Outvote and download it from there. That's as easy as that.
3: Yeah, that's right. They're kind of a couple different options. If you're coming in and you don't have a specific candidate in mind or a specific, you know, cause or organization, you can just come in and we'll tell you who lives in swing districts, which your friends live in swing districts. The way it works is we match your phone contacts to a national voter database, over 200 million people. And so we tell you, you know, if your friends have missed midterms before or missed elections, if they're registered or not registered, if they live in kind of a really tight race. Um, and so you can kind of see, okay, you know, here are the twenty, thirty people I'm going to message um, to make sure that they vote. On the other side of it, you know, we work directly with organizations like Swing Left, Move On, um, as well as state parties uh, and, and nonprofits doing voter registration and, and GOTV. And so you can basically work directly for them. So you can basically vo- digitally volunteer for them on
0: the app. That's incredible. And, and I can vouch for the app. I've <laughs> Excuse me, downloaded it myself. It's uh, pretty easy to follow along. I have noticed that every time I've gone back to it, my contact list is a little bit more connected with the various districts that my contacts live in. And uh, that's uh, it's a pretty cool feature. And it's very easy to reach out to them. You just simply select your contacts. And uh, a, really a pre-written message pops up for you to send one at a time to your contacts. It shows up in your text feed and um, those messages are customizable um, should you uh, elect to, um, to tailor them to the person you're reaching out to directly. Um, is there anything else that uh, you think I've missed about the app that you'd like to mention?
3: Uh, I'd just say that, you know, one thing we found is, is basically we've built this, this app. We know it works. We've kind of tested it um, throughout the year in the different primaries. And we found that, you know, as soon as someone gets a message from a friend, they are 10% more likely to vote. Um, so this really matters. And so one thing we found is, you know, people are shy. They don't want to bug their friends about, you know, politics or, or or voting or anything like that. But I just want to like, you know, but after you do it, you feel really, really good. So not only is it really worth it, but it really works and uh, is, is making a difference for these campaigns and these candidates, right? So, you know, the alternative to this is campaigns spending all their money on kind of ads and and email spam and text messages from strangers and and all these things you get bombarded with, um, you know, that you kind of just tune out. And this is something that, you know, a message from a friend is something that's going to get read, it's going to get listened to, and people actually change their behavior because of it. So I would just encourage folks to get over being shy. And -hmm. it's worth, this November, it's especially worth it to uh, annoy your friends into
1: getting to the polls. My co-host Janine is right here and she has a question for you as well. Hi, Nassim. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast.
3: Of I course. Hi, say, Janine.
1: Um, you know, this is so great because I was just looking at the video of, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, I can't remember the reporter's name. Anyway, he was talking- Soberoff. To- sober off. Uh, talking to college kids who, you know, didn't have a clue about voting and you know, I'm trying to get my kids to get involved somehow. And this generation is much more comfortable texting. So this would be a great way for young people to encourage their friends to get out and vote.
3: That's right. Yeah. A lot of the organizations we work with are deploying this on campuses and universities across the nation. So that's actually what Swing Left is doing. They're in, I think, uh, 80, 80 universities across the nation deploying this. And so that's kind of their thesis, too, is that you know, it's a it's a good way for young folks to get involved to kind of speak their language and also, um, you know, just had, get rid of all those excuses about not knowing if they were registered or or where to go.
1: Right. Well, that's wonderful. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. And uh, just again, for
0: you listeners, the app to look for is out vote all one word, no spaces. Uh, Nasim, I can't thank you enough and um, have a great day.
3: All right. Take care. Thanks for having me. Bye. All
0: right. Bye-bye. And now for your inspirational quote of the week Our quote of the week is courtesy of Susan B. Anthony who said No self-respecting woman should wish or work for the success of a party who ignores her sex. Couldn't say it better Susan. Thank you.
1: And that's all for this week. Thank you for listening. Be sure to tune in next week and tell all your left-leaning, but not very active friends about us. This has been a Common Production.